the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. A delight to have in studio with me Rabbi Pinchas Alush. Rabbi Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. You can hear it on Apple Podcasts. You can follow him on Facebook. He is also the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale, where he continually says all are welcome, uh, observant or not Jewish or not. And we try and end the weeks with him as um, as often as we can when he's in town to kind of get us into a uh, more of a Sabbath weekend kind of mood. And we do him now in the uh, second to the last hour, the penultimate hour, just because of the uh, setting of the sun. We'll return to third hours once uh, we're not fighting as much daylight. Good to see you, Rabbi. Great to be back. Thank you, Seth. Thank you. First, an update, please, on Yisrael Mordechai Haim, your son. Thank you so much. don't mind, our audience thinks of him dearly and keeps him in their prayers. Yes, no, thank you, and we appreciate that so much. We feel your prayers. So thank you. He hasn't called us nine, two weeks since he was uh, thrust back into this war in Gaza. Uh, but as they say, no news is good news, yep. and I'm sure that your prayers are helping, not just him, but all of the IDF soldiers. So thank you very much. You betcha. I'm going to return to what's going on there a little bit and the uh, esprit de corps, if you will. You, you speak French. Yes. Uh, you, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 as, as we divine um, some of the lessons from this week's uh, Bible reading or Torah portion, Shemot, names. Uh, but let me begin, first off, with your podcast, if I can, your weekly podcast on it. You talk about the ultimate leadership quality. That's the title of it, and that there are no coincidences in life, uh, including, as you put it, something uh, we don't often think about. When we think of there being no coincidences, we think about people we meet. We think about perhaps a weather event that may change a plan we had. Uh, you say it should also be thought of to include where we are born. Go ahead, sir. That's right, yes. Everything is uh, divinely designed, including where we are born. Uh, Where we are born and all of the factors that impact us in our lives are certainly indicative of the mission of our soul. Perhaps where we are born teaches us where we should have an impact, a positive impact. Uh, but I mentioned that in the context of the mother of Moses, mm-hmm. Yocheved, mm-hmm. who was born in between two countries. She was born on the border of Israel and Egypt as her family was descending to Egypt to permanently live there in order to reunite with, with Joseph and um, his family. She was born. But there is no coincidence that she was born right by the border because she was teaching us what true leadership is about, and therefore, perhaps, she gave birth to the ultimate leader, Moses. Because the true, a true leader is a leader who knows how to be in Egypt, empathize with Egypt-like symptoms, if you wish, 
and really feel the exile and know all of its symptoms. But on the other hand, a true leader also knows how to stay above them to find solutions for the exile that uh, it's he and his people are in. I would say that uh, Rabbi Steindl's my beloved rabbi, put it best, that we have to constantly remember, and this is true of leaders especially, that we may be in this world, but we are not of this world. We are in this world, and we have to know how this world functions. But we also have to remember that we are stronger than this world, that we come from a place above that can overcome any challenge that this world presents. And therefore, she was born again between those two borders because, indeed, she and her son later on, Moses, were people of uh, this world who, who truly empathized with every person that they, they came in contact with, but they also stayed in an Israel state of mind and therefore were able to redeem them from slavery. You know, um, I didn't mean to get here this quickly, and we'll return to some of that, but I love the notion uh, of being in this world and not in this world. There was a very little interesting thing I learned about uh, one of the other women. There's a lot of women in this chapter, Mm -hmm. by the way, uh, starting the book of Exodus, I should say, Shemot names. We we read the opening chapters of Exodus, where a lot is going on. I mean, a lot. The burning bush, for one. Uh, among other things. Um, But it's a lot of women in leadership roles. And speaking of one foot in this world and one foot out, maybe this is a little bit, um, I don't know, a little Kabbalistic or not, I'm not sure. But I read something I'd never learned in studying up for you today, Rabbi, that Batya is maybe a key example of this. Now, she's the daughter of Pharaoh, who discovers Moses, right, and saves his life, yes? Right. And there's this interesting uh, uh, tractate, a Talmudic tractate, says she's actually actually one of nine people, do you know about this? Nine people who were both in the Garden of Eden and here Mm -hmm. on the presence, in the present, at the time. They were on the ground, on the land, living amongst human beings, and also in the world to come. They were um, so uh, great, I suppose. Enoch, Elijah, Eliezer, Hiram the king, Ebed Malik, the Cushite, Jabez. Uh, but Bacha was one of these people. Right. Yes, yes. I'd never heard of such a concept. Now, there's only nine, so maybe I can be forgiven, but. <laughs> well, it's but quite what a, a. What a thing to strive for. It is, and it's quite a mystical concept, but I think That's it's. That's the word I was looking mystical. Yeah. Right. And I think it speaks of that same exact idea. Yeah. yeah. That because she was in the Garden of Eden, she also remembered that she doesn't have to be defined by this world. She can be defined by the garden she came from, which is the Garden of Eden that is above this world and therefore above its confinements and boundaries. I will say that I think this is also the reason why God uh, chose Moses as the leader. Moses, after all, did not follow the Lincoln line that said, of the people, by the people. After all, a leader should really be a part and parcel of his people. But he didn't come from there. He came from Pharaoh's palace. That's where he. He he may not have even known his own mom at first. That's right. Who his mom was. Right. Exactly. Right. right. And and he so so he was raised outside of his people. Why pick a leader from from there? Right. And the answer is exactly what we're speaking about: is that God wanted to pick a leader who thought royally, Mm -hmm. who thought like a king. Mm 
uh, a people that uh, a leader that would come from a nation of slaves might not have a royal mentality, might have a slaver mentality, and therefore might not be able to lead his people to royalty, to redemption, to freedom. Mm-hmm. So he picked Moses, who came from the outside, who maintained his royal mentality because he was uh, educated in a palace among kings and queens. And that person eventually told those slaves, you are not defined by this world. Don't fall into the Stockholm Syndrome. Mm. Don't allow yourselves to think like slaves. You come from a greater place like I do. Let's go and return to royalty. You know, it's interesting because he's uh, saved by um, Pharaoh's daughter, right? But right. who, who we la- later learn is named Bacha or takes on the name Bacha. Uh, it's given the name Bacha. Um, there's something about the Pharaoh, the, the royalty and leadership. I mean, Joseph becomes the, it's the, a different Pharaoh, we think, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're right. not sure. We right. think it's a different Pharaoh. Uh, uh, <laughs> there's a machlokus on this, That's I, right? right? <laughs> but assuming that it's a different Pharaoh, Joseph is part of Pharaoh's court. He's his viceroy. And then we have Moses saved by Pharaoh's daughter. There's something going on there, isn't there, with the royalty of Egypt and the Jewish people, even though they are being repressed by or suppressed by. Right, exactly. And the daughter of Pharaoh would say— Yes, it's an interesting dichotomy, I guess, what I'm getting at. Yes, very, very much so. But in, on the other hand, it's a can, can one think of Hitler's daughter saving, you know, a, a Jewish person, so to speak? Yeah, 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 that's right. You know, it's interesting because, as you said, she was named Batya, yeah, which really means the daughter of God, mm-hmm. because when she went out against her father's will, obviously, mm-hmm. f- risking her life to go and save a Jewish boy on the Nile River, she turned from the daughter of Pharaoh to the daughter of God. Yeah, and then her name was changed. There's this interesting line I keep stumbling upon in in researching this this line um, that God tells her, Moses was not your son, yet you called him your son. You are not my daughter, but I call you my daughter. It's a beautiful line. I wonder if we could just focus on it a little bit, and you can help bring that down from the heavens mm-hmm. when we come right back. Sure. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show Honored to have Pinchas Alush, Rabbi Pinchas Alush, in studio with me as we do most Fridays, um, talking about uh, life uh, and um, the biblical portion of the week. Uh, this one is the beginning chapter of uh, chapters, the opening chapters of Ex, the book of Exodus, Shemot names, um, and you started in relation to your podcast talking about this kind of interesting dichotomy about it's an ultimate leadership quality, which I presume is also a larger message for what we want to all perhaps strive for. There's something important about being in between and not too much of one thing, not too much of another, not to live on the extremes of life. And you defined it from where many of our leaders are born, for example, Moses or Moses's mother, for example, uh, where they are born. And even this woman who saves Moses, who we later get to know as Bacha, uh, child of God, daughter of God, um, she's an in-between of sorts, too, by this phrase I kept stumbling upon in all my readings. Moses was not your son, God tells her, yet you called him your son. You are not my daughter, 
he tells her, but I call you my daughter. It's a beautiful line, I think. Mm-hmm. And I just kept coming across it. I had to run it by you. Yes. I think uh, it goes to some of what you're saying. Absolutely. And if you let's broaden the conversation. Sure. If you think of, if I were to ask you listeners, name a leader in the Bible. Uh, they would name a leader that also came from the outside. Yeah. Whether it's King David, yeah. who was a shepherd that was almost abandoned by his family. Yeah. Or Adam, who came from the Garden of Eden. Or uh, Joseph. Joseph, yeah. Joseph, Joseph also, sure. thank you, yeah. who came yeah. from the outside. Yeah. Every important or impactful leader in the Bible came from the outside. And it was important. It was an in- integral part of their leadership, really, because by coming from the outside, they were able to think outside the box mm-hmm. and therefore think of solutions. On the one hand, yes, they were very involved with their people, but their mentality was a broad one. It was a royal one, as we said before. And that is what enabled them to be impactful leaders that made a mark on uh, history altogether. Now, now going back to the quote of, you know, God saying... Moses you, was not your son. That's yet. right. Yeah, Moses right, was not right, your son. Right. He was my son. Right. I think there's something quite beautiful because it also speaks of our task as human beings to pass uh, the challenges, the tests that God gives us. Uh, they, could, they, they could be small tests or big tests. But when, once we pass those tests, God says, oh, now you've proven yourself. I'm taking you into my realm. You become my son. Mm. You know, if I may, one of the examples that come to mind from the Bible is a man named Palti, who's not so well known. But Palti was uh, a person whose name was changed by God from Palti to Palti El, which means Palti, El is the name of God. The person of God, Palti, who associates, who's connected to God. Why so? Because he did, and we can go into it, but he did something quite heroic by overcoming his own personal inclinations, evil inclinations, and uh, passing that test that God had given him. When he did that, God said, I want to be associated with you, and therefore I'll add my name into your name. Wow. That is powerful. That's powerful. Do you think that we all have that opportunity? And we have that opportunity available to us. Um, Do you think, and maybe this is uh, from left field, but do you think in some of these lessons of some of these leaders, Joseph, I think of in the way he was raised, uh, treated and then raised, Moses, how he was kind of hidden and then raised by someone not his birth mom, is this in part uh, an additional lesson on the importance of treating the orphan so well? We are implored to treat, you know, the widow, the orphan. But the orphan, there's this message of the orphan. And and it seems to me there's maybe extra instruction here. Yes. And I would include in that category all the outsiders. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, you know, good. orphans, the poor, mm-hmm. uh, the widow, mm-hmm. all those outsiders. In fact, the Talmud says, which in Hebrew means be aware of the children of the poor because they will become the greatest scholars. Mm -hmm. Why so? Again, because coming from the outside is actually a blessing. Mm. And um, I know that personally, not that I'm any type of of, uh, leader or uh, I don't put myself um, in that echelon. I'm really a man of the people. But um, I know that, you know, I grew up in France. I grew up in South Africa and in Israel. And when I came to America, I started to look at things differently, differently than what maybe the average American. And it helped me many, many, many times 
to see things that the Americans themselves were not seeing and therefore also develop ideas within society that could have been helpful. And I think it's true, by the way, of any outsider, of any immigrant or any widow or poor or, you know, going back to that category because it enables us to be um, pilots that see the big picture instead of being citizens who are too close to the picture that they often forget to have that uh, broad view that leads to solutions. It's, an, it's, a, it's a theme I return to once in a while about the importance of outsiders. Sometimes the, some, this, this is the mirror image of what you're saying. It's not you. It's the mirror image of it. The importance of, of what outsiders can teach us about ourselves. Um, sometimes as an American, we thank people who see us perhaps better than we see ourselves. For example, uh, Lafayette at our founding or uh, Tocqueville, who probably taught us more about the nature of our government and country and its mores, both Frenchmen. Uh, John Stuart Mill during the Civil War wrote this amazingly important essay from Great Britain about the importance of the Emancipation Proclamation and Abraham Lincoln. Chesterton from Britain later in the 20s wrote a book on what he found in America. There's something about outsiders seeing us sometimes better than we see ourselves. It's probably true about everyone who sees us on an individual level. Maybe not everyone, but oftentimes someone will see you better than you see yourself. Yes, that's right. And, you know, we're talking about big leaders. Yeah. I think it's true for children, too. Yeah. You know, adults. Oh, for sure. Adults. As adults, we get too immersed in adulthood and in life altogether that it becomes almost, how should I call it, a habit. Mm -hmm. Life becomes a routine. routine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, While children are still very new to life. Yeah. And therefore, they can look at life from the outside. They're not yet immersed in it. And therefore, children are, are, are really so wise. I'll give you a, a, a small example. I went on a trip to Israel not too long ago. and Something you can say anytime, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Given your travels, <laughs> you can always use that. That's sense. right. Yes. All right. <laughs> anyway, my six-year-old boy, Asher, says to me, Abba, you know, Dad, are you, are you, are you going to take anyone with you? I said, no, I'm going alone. And he immediately says, you're not going alone. God is going to be with you. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to yeah. myself, you see, yeah. you stood children. up a little straighter after that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. And and that's the wisdom. That's the outside yeah. perspective that children have with such purity and innocence that it is just refreshing. When we come back, I want to also talk about uh, well, actually, just that whole point about the outsider. There's another element in this in this portion I want to return to, and it's the name we learn about that Moses gives his son which I think implies some of this too, Gershom, which means stranger, right, in a foreign land. We'll pick up on this with Rabbi Pinchas Alush when we come right back. A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Delighted to have this precious human being in studio with us, Rabbi Pinchas Alush, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts. Uh, three to five minutes a week can change, uh, can change your life. 
uh, also the head of congregation Beth Tefillah in Scottsdale. We were talking about the outsider. We were talking about the in-between born person. We were talking about the orphan, and um, and 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 it made me think of in this Bible portion, Torah portion this week as well. Moses's son. He names him Gershom. Gershom, hmm. a stranger in a in a foreign land, I guess. Yes. Or yes, that's right. Anyway. It's a strange <laughs> name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For anyone, we know that the term ger. Right. Right, which like also or right. Something. That's right. Very good. Which also means strange, resident stranger, or, or something like that. Yeah. Th- that's correct. Yeah. On alien yeah. citizen. A- yeah, that's right. Um, but I think that Moses here did not make it up. Uh-huh. I think he's following a model that was set by Joseph. We spoke of Joseph too, who was an outsider and therefore uh, one of the best leaders of all times. But Moses is following his example because what. Joseph did is that he named his children Ephraim and Menashe. Ephraim means you have multiplied me in the land of my poverty, Eretz Oni. Also, I, uh, this is not my land. I'm, I'm a poor man in this land. That's what Ephraim means. Menashe also, that uh, you have made me forget my past and uh, l- led me to this land that is so strange. So he's, he's following that pattern, and I think that he's doing that purposefully because what he's trying to instill in his child, what Moses is trying to instill in his child, Gershom, is that, look, you are born in Egypt, and you are born in a land that is quite corrupt. Egypt was not the best of places back then. I don't know if it is now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that the trajectory <laughs> of improvement has studied yes. itself. Yes. But remember, you are not of this land. Yeah. You cannot become corrupt like everyone else. Don't fall into societal pressures. You're a strange man. You're above this. You shouldn't connect yourself to all that is bad in society. Separate yourself from that and elevate yourself to a place that might be strange in the eyes of others, but a place that is certainly more sanctified. If I can loop that back and everything we've talked about in the last few segments, Rabbi, to your podcast um, and the way you kind of uh, bring it to a conclusion about leaders in a broken world who understand suffering, because you have a port part in there about um, emotions and deeds, right? This is this is this is a key teaching that you often, uh, or was that in your in your in your in your newsletter? I don't remember. It might have been in your newsletter, uh, also out today. Um, yes, it was in your newsletter. You were talking about all these attributes that we 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 ask of people or God asks of us it's not so that we can feel good or bad about them it's that so we behave good or bad well that we are to behave good obviously and know what it is to behave bad that's right at eulogies you say i think no one ever talks about the deceased's emotions really that's right that's right everyone talks about the deceased actions right yeah and this is perhaps the reason and this was the point in the newsletter why Moses by the way like so many other leaders Abraham also is another example why he's introduced to us through his actions yeah. not through the schools that he went to or his classic resume right but rather his actions he went out to his people to save a Jew that was being beaten by a slave master uh, that's the first line of introduction that we have to Moses. Who was he? What schools did he go to? 
There's not one word of that. Yeah, we get to it. We get to Moses's life. We we abbreviate a lot here in the Bible. And Moses grew up and went out into his brethren. Right. He just he grew up. Okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, where yeah, were you yeah, well, prep school. Right. right. Abraham, by the way, right. is introduced to us right. as, at the age of seventy-five. Right. Well, what did he do right. until that age? No one knows. Can you imagine how long the Torah would be, the Bible would be. If we, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe that's why. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true. But again, I think the Torah uh, and and on the same. On the same token, the Torah doesn't describe emotions. Right. Right? How Moses felt right. when he was wanted, the right. most wanted person in Egypt. Right. No one knows. Yeah. But because, again, it's all about deeds. Yeah, let me pick up on that when we come right back, this short segment. We'll have a, long, a, lo- a longer segment when we come back. And, um, yeah, something your teacher, Rabbi Steinsaltz, uh, used about the people who there are only two people who care about your emotions we'll use that as a tease for people to come back and want to find out what that is Rabbi Pinchas Solution I'll be right back welcome back to the Seth Leibson show coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio brought to you by the veteran owned Midas Gold Group your trusted source for precious metals Rabbi Pinchas Alush, P-I-N-C-H-A-S-A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, is my guest. In your no- newsletter on this portion, we were uh, portion of the week, we were talking about, um, as you were just saying, uh, at eulogies, it's instructive that people people are not spoken of for, for for their emotions or their feelings, but their deeds. Your 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 sainted teacher, Rabbi Steinseltz, once told you, you write only two. People truly care about your emotions, your mother, and maybe your shrink. <laughs> but seven billion people will care about your actions in the world. So maybe focus on that. That's right. I, I remember when he said that to me, I was, I'll confess, I was 16 years old. And as many teenagers, I was in a mode of inaction. I was quite confused at the world, by the world. And uh, that's when he called me and he said, look, I understand what you're going through. But remember, only two people will care about your emotions, but seven people will care about your actions. So start acting. Start doing something. Stop being paralyzed by your confusions and emotions and anxieties and insecurities. And um, it, it was really one of the most important lessons I received in my life because very often, and I will say this to your listeners, sometimes we are overcome by emotions and they paralyze us. You know, the best way to come out of that mode is to start doing something good. That act will liberate us from within and will almost reignite that joy and that uh, joie de vivre mm-hmm. uh, within that uh, not, no emotion can ever achieve. David's going to keep a running tally. Are you okay there? Yeah, yes. Of whether we use more Yiddish, more French, or, uh, <laughs> or more Hebrew on these uh, podcasts on these interviews, uh, this radio show with you, Rabbi. Um, how many languages do you speak? At least three, right? Yeah, fluently, I speak four languages. Yeah. And then, you know, not fluently, I speak another two. Yeah. What are the fluent ones? English, obviously, French, it, obviously, English Hebrew. And Italian. And it, I, we yes. haven't done Italian yet. Yeah, no. We'll do some no Italian. But we could, possiamo. Yeah, possiamo. <laughs> uh, uh, what's that mean? That means we can. We can, we can. possiamo. Yeah. <laughs> I knew the amo part. Okay. <laughs> Uh, on that part, yeah, well, deeds, we've spoken often before about 
I think the most important thing about emotions and deeds is that, um, especially for those in, 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 in modes of either depression or addiction or unhealthy thoughts, that um, thoughts will not change your actions, but your actions can change your thoughts, yes? Mm-hmm. Right. That's you right. You can't think yourself into good acting, but you can act yourself into good thinking. That's right. And not only will your actions change your thoughts, yeah. your actions will change your actions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, good point. And, and that's the power, really, of actions. And I really believe if we look at the Bible, uh, this is why God gives us so many action-based commandments. Uh, there are altogether 613 commandments. I could think maybe of just two of them that are more emotion-based than action-based, like um, prayer and learning, learning Torah. Other than that, all commandments are action-based because God who knows the, his creation and he knows the human condition knows that the only thing that can truly uh, mold the human condition into a condition that is fruitful, meaningful, and therefore purposeful is a condition that is action-based, not feeling-based. The prayer thing is interesting because I would have almost thought that even it is an action-oriented thing, particularly certain prayers, uh, certainly in Judaism, uh, where you will see um, prayerful men kind of moving back and forth in a genuflection mood. There are certain prayers, one in particular, where you're supposed to move your lips. That's right. Yes. I mean, from that perspective, it is a type of deed. Yeah. But I will say that prayer that um, you can does, also pray does without, not, yeah, yeah, does not lead to deed. Right. Is really not, and you can do it from anywhere. That's yeah. right. right. Yeah. That's right. So it should lead you to that ultimate sure. deed. If I pray and I'm the same person after prayer than I was before prayer, then really my prayer wasn't worth much. Oh, I like that. That prayer needs to make me a different person. It needs to move deed. you. It needs to end up. It may be something that isn't action-oriented, but it needs to move you. That's correct. You know, one of the great Hasidic masters was Rabbi Menachem Mendel Bongenstern, the Kotzker Rebbe. That's how he was known. And he was a very fiery and truth-seeking man. A soul on fire. Yeah. A soul on fire. That's correct. And he would often quote in a negative tone the verse that speaks about the giving of the Ten Commandments on Man Sinai. One of the verses that describe this majestic scene is Vayara Am Vayanu Vayamdu Mirachok, which means the nation saw and they were moved and they stood afar. And the way he would interpret that is that sometimes you can see something that moves you. Even something as majestic as the giving of the Ten Commandments in the Torah Man Sinai. But then you still stand afar, and that's the tragedy. If you see something that moves you, it should bring you close. The tragedy is when I see something and it moves me and I'm still disconnected. Yeah, you're cold. Uh, Souls on fire, Mount Sinai. Is the burning bush in that same area? It is. Horeb? That's right. It's all in that area, right? You want to say a word on the burning bush? I mean, we we can't ignore it. No, we can't ignore it. Not in this week where it appears. But it's interesting because God decides to reveal himself to Moses in a burning bush. Yeah. Why there? Yeah, right. I mean, reveal yourself, you know, with a nice sun and light show or yeah. something a little more fitting. Yeah. Why a burning bush? Yeah. A burning bush that does not burn the bush, right? The fire is, is not doing its job, so to speak. But the reason is because God was trying to teach Moses that you will see 
this dichotomy in people. On the one hand, everyone has a fire, mm-hmm. a yearning to do good, to connect, to be godly. On the other hand, they have a lot of thorns. Don't be dissuaded by those thorns. Focus on the fire as you are focusing on the fire now. And that's how you'll eventually lead people out of their thorns. You, you, you kind of attach uh, your newsletter and your uh, podcast this week on the soldiers in Gaza to, to a notion of that. Um, go and do your deed. Go and do your duty. We don't have time for emotions. It kind of maybe we don't have time to think about thorns. Maybe the maybe the, the spies who saw the giants uh, were stricken by negative thoughts and emotions. Just go do it. Huh? That's right. Just get to it. Just go and do it. Even though you may see thorns, and even though you may think and know that you doing good won't get rid necessarily of your thorns as it was in the burning bush, still focus on the fire and make sure that it expands its light so that it can bring light and warmth to the world. And then maybe your thorns will eventually disappear. But that is really the message, not just in the burning bush, but I think in this entire portion. Moses is told to focus on deed. That's how he's also introduced. Batya focuses on deed. And uh, the Jewish people eventually focus on deed in order to be redeemed because it's, it's really the deed that defines us. When we come back, we just have a short segment, but I'd like to conclude with you on the general thought of something a lot of people think of um, or are advised and counseled on, which is the difference between our timeline, our, our view of things when things should happen in God's timeline. Mm. And we'll close on that when we come right back with Pinchas Alush. Rabbi Pinchas Alush has been my guest this hour. We close this hour with him uh, in our penultimate segment this week. Thank you for being here, Rabbi. Of course. I drew this as a message, but it may be the wrong. I may have. I. I, I may have the message or the lesson wrong from. Exodus this week, what we read in Exodus this week, there's this interesting passage that stood out to me, though. When Pharaoh died, the Jews cried out to have their bondage known. God heard their moaning, we are told, and God remembered the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And I thought, what an odd thought to say God remembered. Um, And I I drew it in my own adult brain to think, well, maybe it's not it's not that he had ever forgotten. It's just that there's a difference between our time and his time, which we are often counseled to think about. We don't always get everything in our timeline, but he has a bigger timeline. No, that's great. You're right. And that's really one of the commentaries speaks oh, about that okay. because uh, remembering for us is remembering things of the past. But for God, the past, the present, and the future are all intertwined. So his remembering is a different type of remembering altogether. But I will add one of the uh, commentary of the Hasidic masters, and that is that it's not necessarily that God was remembering, but we were remembering our covenant, and therefore God chose to also bring it up. Uh, God knew about it as he knows about the present and the future. Again, there is no past for God, or the past is intertwined. But sometimes we can bring things to the uh, Fourth uh, to the to the uh, to the uh, four to the to, to the four or to the table I was going to mm-hmm. say of okay. God, mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, we ask Him to attend to to uh, to that which we are bringing forth, and here the Jewish people were saying, okay, we may have fallen very deep, 
We may have become even corrupt in the society, but now we are remembering our covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are remembering who we are, and we are committing ourselves to truly be authentic with who we are and aligned completely with our values. Then God said, oh, you remembered it? I'll remember it. He does say that. He says, I am mindful of the suffering. I am mindful of it, right? And he will save them by bringing them to the land of milk and honey. Seems like every time we're living under a pharaoh, that's that's really the point of Israel. Eretz Israel, isn't it? That's how we will be saved by going there to that's the place right. that people don't want us to go. Right, and it's yeah. yeah, and it's interesting though that God waits for us to make the first step. Yeah, and then He follows along. But uh, it's a reminder to every one of us that when we are in a place of hesitance, just do it, act, make that first step, and I promise you, God will come forth with His blessings. Beautiful, Rabbi. Just beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.